good, isn't he? Amen. If you have your Bibles with me, where are we going to turn? Mark 12. Turn to Mark 12. Deuteronomy 6. Daniel 6. Mark 12. Deuteronomy 6. And Daniel 6. You know, we're on our fourth week now of breaking that verse apart. And, you know, we've talked about the heart. We've talked about the soul. We've talked about the mind. And today we're talking about the strength. And, you know, whenever you hear those things, you know, sometimes you have to kind of put them in perspective. So let's read um, Mark 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbors yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Turn with me over to Deuteronomy. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6 again. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Let's pray. Father, this morning, Father, just um, on this beautiful day you've given us. Father, sure it's wet and it's damp, but you've given us what we need. Because in a few months we're going to be praying for rain when it gets dry. Father, but it's not about the rain, it's not about the damp, it's not about the cold, but it's about you and your word. Father, and even what we just sang about, Father, what you did for us. Father, how deep your grace runs for us. Father, this morning, Father, as we move into our fourth week, Father, of the great commandment, Father, I just ask that we really see it and we really understand, Father, what you're calling us to do. Father, we love you. Father, and I just ask that you be with Brother Howard and a group in the Bahamas right now. Father, is they're doing church there in a tent. Father, because it's not about location. It's not about structure. It's about you and you only. In son's name I pray. Amen. They are down there. We got a text this morning saying that um, they was doing church in a tent. And this was his words. Pray that I can see it because there's no lights in there. And so, um, so we, we're praying for, for big letters on the page for him and that, that he can um, communicate God's word down there this morning as we're here doing it. You know, this week we're talking about strength. And as I, you know, our, our typical definition of strength would be what? It would be physical abilities, right? So this morning I, I, I brought my weights. You know, these... <laughs> why are y'all laughing? Huh? I mean, y'all don't think I can do this? It's, it's in but 225 pounds. See, but I've learned the more you roll it, the faster you fall on the ground. <laughs> See, but you have that. But you, you condition for what you got to do. See? Huh? This is it right here, right? This is what I'm conditioning, 20 ounces. Whew, that's good. But you know what? That 20 ounces, it weighs what my Bible weighs. You see? I'm thinking. So whenever I'm drinking Diet Coke, I'm really not 
drinking Diet Coke, I'm conditioning myself to be able to carry my Bible better, right? Uh-huh. See? That's why you don't get them big, thick Bibles like Brother Frank's got. Because then you got to carry a liter bottle around with you to drink. But, you know, we laugh about it. But, uh, but that, that's what we think of strength. You know, we think of that. And there, there's people that tear shoulders out and all that to lift that. I haven't damaged my shoulder yet with one of these. I'm just throwing that out there. But, you know, whenever you start looking, um, the definition of strength is located. It mainly is about physical abilities or, mental, or the mental capacity to overcome obstacles. But as I really started looking at it, the Hebrew word for strength is miad. And miad means very or means much. And if you go, um, I found a, a resource on, on YouTube. It's called The Bible Project. And they, they take whole books of the Bible and they break them apart and stuff. And as I was searching for Miad and, uh, and to understand that, they actually on that video give a good def a definition. And it said, loving God with your Miad means devoting every possibility, opportunity, and capacity that you have to honoring God and loving your neighbor to yourself, as yourself. So when you think about it like that, so whenever you hear that word, whenever it says strength, and you don't think about weights, but you think about loving God with every capacity, every possibility, everything that you have, that kind of changes the perspective of that, don't it? Because he wants you to love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and he wants you to love, you, love him with all of your capacity, with every possibility that you have in you. And you know, whenever I, I'm saying stuff like that, so here's my question this morning. Can we honestly say that we love God with every possibility, every opportunity, and every capacity that we have? Are we really honoring God? Think about this past week. Let's go backwards a week. We're here today. You can't undo what you've done already. But if you look back over last week, have you, can you honestly say, I loved God with everything about me? I love God with every possibility I had. I love God with my whole capacity and people could see it. Can we say that? Some of you sitting there thinking, Brother Johnny, you beating up on me today. I'm not. This is what I'm hoping is that I'm, I'm removing blinders. That we can really see what God's trying to tell us. You know, and I'm just, you know, you know me, I, I'm transparent. This week I was on Facebook and WBRZ or one of the news things had a thing that flashed up on the, on the feed on Facebook. And it was a picture. And when I looked at that picture, it was a young guy that I knew. And I said, and I'd actually taught him whenever I was teaching at Live Oak. And whenever I opened it up and I read it, my heart broke. And as I read that, I went back in my mind immediately and I'm thinking, all right, God, you give me a year with this young man. You give me a year. You give me three hours every, I mean, four hours every week with him for a solid school year. God, did I use every possibility, every capacity that I have to influence him for Christ? Because when Miss Jones hired me at Live Oak High School, I told her, I said, don't fire me in two weeks because I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And so don't come back in two weeks and say, oh, you violated, I'm going to have to cut you. You know right now what the rules are. I'm going to come help you, but I'm going to help God too. And I replayed in my mind over and over and over, did he see God in me? Those opportunities that I prayed with him, did he really hear the prayer? Did he really, you know, and I can't answer that. Only him and God can answer that. 
But that's why it's important. And I think that's why, or I know that's why God, whenever these verses was written and whenever he said these words, he said, I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your capacity, with all your possibility. I want you to love me with everything you got. Is that how we're loving? Is that how we're loving? You know, last week I, I told y'all that as soon as church was over, I literally run out the door and run in my office and I changed shirts and I changed boots and I went and did a presentation at the Cowboy Church and it was incredible. And I come home for about an hour, then me and dad went back to Ethel, Louisiana, was at Ethel Baptist Church and we did the presentation there. And at the end of the um, presentation, I give the invitation and Nathan Lott come up, a good friend of mine that's the pastor there. And Nathan was standing on one side and it was a stage pretty much like this one. And I watched out of the corner of my eye and Nathan was standing there and a young boy come up five or six years old and started talking to Nathan. And then a little boy, while I was looking, he come up and I really didn't notice him at first. He come up and he kind of pulled my shirt and he said, Mr., will you sit down and talk to me? So we sat on the stage, just kind of like what's right here. And we sat there and he looked at me and he said, sir, he said, you remember, you remember when you had that dog up there and she was sitting and she was just looking at you and all of us was calling and screaming her name and she never looked nowhere but at you. I said, yeah. He said, I want to love God like that. He said, I want to love God like that. And I want him to, I want, I want him in my heart. Will you tell me how? And so I sat on that stage and I, I prayed with that little boy and I shared scripture with him. But then I'm going to be honest, I sat there and I wept. Because I said, this five, six-year-old little boy's got it. And I miss it. And I know. And as I was sitting there thinking, I said, you know, I'm going into this week, this Sunday, and I'm going to stand before y'all and I'm going to have to confess that that little boy's got it and I miss it sometimes. Because he said, I want to love God with everything I got. I want to look at God the way that dog looked at you. And is that where we're at today? Are we looking at God like that? Are we experiencing God like that? Let me read you a couple of situations. First situation. The company you work for walks in, sends an email, says, because of the job market right now, we're cutting over 50% of the jobs today. We're going into a meeting and we're going to look over the performance of all the employees and we're going to cut 50% of you. Second situation. You're a parent. You get a phone call from a concerned neighbor and a good friend that said they saw your kid riding around with other teens after the high school football game drinking and smoking cigarettes and causing trouble. Hmm. Wouldn't have ended well at the Morgan house. <laughs> Lloyd didn't play. Third situation. The word in the school hall is that your boyfriend or girlfriend's flirting with the new kid that just moved. You know, and you read those as I read them and as you heard them, for some of us, we kind of laugh about it. But then some of us say, hmm, that's been me before. And to be honest, it can be kind of traumatic. But you know what all those things had in common is where we're losing control of what we think we have control over. This is where we need to be. 
when you hear those words where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Whenever we really capture that, you know, when you read these situations, you know, for me personally, and I've shared that with y'all through time, you know, I can remember 20 plus years ago, I was an engineer and I was working for Simon and Associates and, and I'd been there for several years at that point and I'd started as a mechanic and moved into the drafting field. And me and a friend of mine had went to um, one of the plants and when we pulled back up, there was literally people in the parking lot crying at this engineering company. We had about 350 employees. And we pulled up. We thought somebody had died. You know, literally, we thought somebody had died that we worked with. And we got out of the car, and I can remember me and Charlie walking up, said, what's going on? What happened? And they said they just announced that they're in the meeting right now, and they're laying off over half the company today. No severance packages, no nothing. Lay off, clean your boxes out, be gone by the end of the day. And they did. They laid off 175, over 175 people that day. You know, my story was whenever they sat in a circle and they started going around the room with all the vice presidents and all the department heads and all that. When it got to my name, the owner spoke up and he said, Johnny's mine, you can't touch him. And all the other people looked at him. And I heard this story from several of the people that was in the meeting. They said whenever they looked at him, he said, Johnny will do whatever I need him to do. Johnny's not glued to a drafting table. If I need him to pressure wash these buildings, if I need him to paint the offices, if I need him to, to, to drive me somewhere, he's going to do it. So Johnny stays. And so I did. I made it, you know, for a couple of more years there like that. But then years later, and I've shared this with you before, in 2009, they laid off way, way more than half our company. And when I got called into my department head's office and Joey called me in and the three or four people before me at 7 o'clock that morning had cussed him out for laying them off and he called me in and I sat there and as I looked at him, I mean it wasn't his fault, it was business. And as we sat there and, and, and finally I looked at him and said, if you're going to lay me off, you got to do it. I'm not laying myself off, you know. And so finally he, he you know, just kind of nodded his head and, and so whenever we talked for a few minutes, I told him, so let me pray with you. And it was just a simple prayer that God would protect him. I walked out the office boxed my stuff up and left. Didn't think anything about it. A year and a half later, when I got, went back into engineering for about 10 months before I come here full time, the new department head at the new company I was going to, when I was talking to him, he said, well, I've been told just to hire you. And I said, well, um, why? And he said, because I talked to your old department head and the day that he was having a layoff over half his department and everybody was cussing and screaming at him, you prayed with him. He said, that's the type of employee I want. See, because at that day, even though I knew it was going to be bad for us financially, I knew that my God was still God and I knew that he was still in control. And so, because I'd give him my full capacity and, and was using those possibilities. And so, you know, so where are we at today? Whenever you start looking at things in these scenarios, they play out. They play out all the time. I want you to turn with me to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. And I'm going to give you the Johnny Cliff notes real quick, so I don't have to read you the whole chapter, but the whole chapter is good, so go back and read it later. But up until this point, King Darius had been appointed king, and so he had appointed three major overseers, and Daniel was one of those overseers, and there was like 120 people under him, and these people under him, have y'all ever been around jealous friends that got jealous of your position or something? These other people, they got really jealous, and so they went to the king, and they said, look, king, for the next 30 days, you need to just tell everybody they have to pray to you and you only, and not any other gods. And so 
They got him all pumped up. So he made this law saying that for the next 30 days, you have to pray for me and me only. If you don't pray for me, then you're going to go into the lion's den. So that's where we're at. We're in verse 10 now. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where his windows were open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. You know, and we're going to stop right there for just a minute. You know, Daniel was, he was God's man. Daniel was chasing after God with everything he had. Now, let's just be real honest. If we would have been Daniel, it would have been easy for us to say, you know something, God? For the next 30 days, I'm going to go dark. I still love you. I'm still going to pray for you. But I'm going to do it behind a closed closet door in the dark where nobody can see me so that I can survive the next 30 days. And then I'm back all in again. But Daniel didn't do that. Why? Because he was walking with God. Remember, we've talked about in Deuteronomy 6, they literally prayed that prayer every day. So that was part of Daniel's ritual. I mean, part of his life was every day he would pray, God, I love you with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my strength. God, I love you with everything I got. And so for him, there was no other option. For him, it wasn't looking backwards and say, well, God, you know, you, you can give me 30 days. I've been sold out up to now. Give me 30 days to protect myself. And then, then I'm back in. No, he didn't do it. You know, he went up and he just kept doing what he was called to do. So let's skip down to, to verse um, 16. And what happens between 10 and 16 is these other people, remember, they got the law made, turned him in. Ratted him out. Whatever word you want to use. They went to the king and said, hey, king. Daniel is blatantly going against you. What are you going to do? And so the king, Darius, said, bring him to me. So in verse 16, it says, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of, the, of his other nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from these lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted, lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. As the king, at the king's command, the men had, who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in, thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. You know, when you read that, you say, man, that's a crazy story. I'm not Daniel. Surely that's not going to happen today. You know, surely President Trump's not going to order Johnny Morgan thrown into a lion's den. Can it happen? I don't know. I think in a lot of ways we look at it like, like Brother Mark mentioned in his prayer a minute ago. We're not far off from back then in how our country's acting. But you, whenever you look at Daniel and, you know, if you notice something, the king said twice. He said, 
the God that you continually serve. Did you catch that? The God that you continually serve. When people see us, are they seeing a God that we continually serve? Are they seeing somebody that we love with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength and all our mind? Do they see somebody that we love that much that we're continually serving them like that? Because that's what the king saw. He knew there was something different about Daniel. He knew Daniel was set apart. And he said, may the God that did you continually serve protect you. Because let me tell you, as much as God is alive and well, so is Satan. And Satan wants to derail our lives. He wants to mess us up. He wants to foul us up. He wants us to trip up and destroy us. And so we have to continually serve. We have to continually, we have to continually lift our weights. No, literally. Lift this weight. Huh? Some of y'all thinking, I can't drink Diet Coke. 20 ounce Dr. Peppers, they say work. 20 ounce Coke, mm. 20 ounce Diet Coke's closer to Jesus. <laughs> And so, read this. Read this. How are you going to love him with all your heart? You've got to spend time with him. How are you going to love him with all your mind? You have to spend time with him. How are you going to love him with all your soul? You have to spend time with him. How are you going to love him with all your strength, with all your capacity, with all your possibilities? You have to spend time in this. You have to spend time building that relationship. You have to spend time chasing him. Is life going to be easy? Hear what I'm telling you? No. Nowhere in here does this say that your life's going to be free of bumps and free of bruises and free of scars. But he tells us he's never going to leave us and he's never going to forsake us. And he's told us, I have a home for you. I have a home for you when you get here. I was sharing with the 8 o'clock service. When you love him with all your possibilities and you love him with, with all your capacity. You know, I serve a big God. Yeah. I serve a big God. And as I was getting ready and I was looking back, you know, there's been times in my life when, when it would have been real easy for the Morgan family to check out on God and say, you know something, God? You dropped the ball with us today. You know, in, in 2009, whenever I was laid off, it would have been real easy for me to say, you know something, God? <laughs> I've given you everything and now you've got me cut. I've given you everything. Now I've lost my, 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 uh, my job. But you know what? God loves me. And he tells me, I'm not going to forsake you. And because you've loved me, I'm going to give you the opportunity to go to work at a credit union. Part-time making less than half of what you was making before, but it's still a job and it's still part-time because that way you can still work at the church part-time because that's whenever back in 2009 I was part-time here. He said, that way you can still work part-time there. And then he played a big joke on me and he said, and to help make the money in between, I'm going to let you start a lawn business. Now the joke is, I didn't even cut my own grass. <laughs> I couldn't use my family's a reference. My dad cut, my dad still cuts my grass. Am I spoiled? Amen. I'm okay with it. We have a pact that wherever I live, he lives. And so, 
but in that, in that process, in that time to where literally the day that I got laid off and after I called Tammy and told her what had happened, I, I texted both my brothers and my dad and I said, hey, be praying because this is what's going on. By the time I got home, by the time Michael had got home, we sat on a swing back at my dad's and he says, hey, there's this possibility you could come work part-time at the credit union. We would only pay you this much, but it's this many hours a week. You know what? God was opening doors. And then a few days later, I went and bought me a pressure washer and I run an ad in Dental Springs News to, um, to press, try to pick up pressure washing jobs. And this lady calls and she says, hey, will you go to Gonzales and bid this job? And I said, sure. So I jumped in my truck and I'm going to Gonzales. And she said, calls me back. She says, oh, why are you there? Won't you give me a price on cutting the grass and doing the flower beds? She said, it's a rent house. I just need it cleaned up. And so I got down there and I called her back and I gave her the price. And she said, well, I got two more properties in Dunham Springs. Won't you go look at them? So I went by and looked at them and gave them prices. So I called my dad and said, Dad, I really think I'll start a lawn business. I think I'd make money. And uh, I didn't have a lawnmower. I had to borrow my daddy's lawnmower. He wouldn't go cut it for me, but he did loan me the lawnmower. And so I started putting the feelers out. And it was Brant Russo called me and said, hey, you need to call Henry at Ward 2 because there's a guy that's working for him that's got a lawn equipment that he's selling out. He's getting out of the business. So I bought a whole business for half price and started a lawn business. How big is our God? Now, he didn't say, Johnny Morgan, you can sit in that recliner at 30990 and sulk and just pout and complain about the government and complain about the company. No, he said, I'm going to provide for you. Now, did I have to hustle? Amen. But was it good? Absolutely. Do I have scars on my legs from rocks from running that weed eater? Absolutely. But you know what? I can sit one day and point at him and say, you know something? My God provided. Sure, I had blood running down my leg, but he provided for my family. And my family didn't miss a beat. And so today I can stand here and tell you that when you sell out to him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. And that's all I can say. I mean, because I, I can tell you my stories and we can go around this room and I can hand everybody a mic and everybody's probably got stories that they can tell. Wouldn't you love to go sit at the table with Brother Howard and Miss Dolly and say, whenever y'all come to Live Oak, how much was y'all making a month? Yeah. 16,000 a year. That's to be a full-time pastor and go to school. How many of y'all can live on 16,000 a year now? <laughs> Starved to death twice, huh? <laughs> but you know what? God was good, wasn't he? All of us have those stories. But we have to go back. Daniel didn't waver. Daniel was recognized for continually, continually following God. Some of us need to be like that little boy last week that come and sat beside me on that stage and said, Mister, I want to look at God the way that dog looked at you. Some of us need to start there. He loves us. He's chosen us. But are we going to choose Him? Are we going to love Him with all our capacity, with all our possibility, with everything about us?